When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is The Educated Home Buyer. Everything you need to know to buy right, borrow smart, and build wealth through real estate ownership. Do I think that rates can get back into the twos and threes? So if things continue in the same vein they have been, we've definitely seen the top in rates. So there are three really important things that are gonna drive rates into uh, 2024, and that is, Exactly what we're gonna talk about as we continue our expert series and we're joined by Matt Graham of MBS Live and Mortgage News Daily. Matt is gonna break down for us exactly why mortgage rates have dropped a full percent over the last 30 days, how they might drop another percent between now and the end of the year, and what that means for the housing market in 2024. Our primary audience is 80 to 90% buyers and the majority of those, probably 70, 80% are first time buyers. From that perspective, they're looking at entering the market and affordability is the number one thing on their minds. Your area of expertise is, is interest rates, what's happening, what's impacting rates. And that's the conversation that we're going to have today. Kind of something that I would like to start with. Did you expect or did you see uh, a route for rates to get as high as they did? We peaked just shy, depending on whose numbers you're looking at, just shy of 8%. Did you expect them to get that high? Famously, no. In fact, some people on the website asked me if I saw rates getting to 7%, and I said, no way, there's no chance. Now, granted, that was when rates were down around 4%, but at that time, I didn't see us hitting 8 By the time we hit 7%, I did see 8 uh, at least as a, a distinct possibility. But, you know, people's paradigms have consistently been redefined on the way up. People who lived through most of the past decade or a little bit more got used to really low rate reality and one in which inflation wasn't really a big threat and one in which we didn't see inflation coming back remotely as aggressively as it had in the 80s. But lo and behold, we did more than half of that, at least in the current cycle. And that's it's super yeah, understandable sure. when you, we legitimately, we had a 40 year bull market. Now it wasn't straight down, but when for 40 years over a three to five year period, you could count on rates being lower. It's hard to fathom higher. And it's absolutely hard to fathom more than a doubling, nearly a tripling. If we got to 9%, you literally would have had a tripling in interest rates in less than 24 months. Yeah. And uh, the other thing too, is even before that big spike in the early eighties, late seventies, uh, the baseline for rates was low and sideways. So it really looked like that hyperinflationary period in the past was a one-off aberration. And, you know, it may have ended up being that way were it not for the pandemic and the unique response to it. I'm sure things would be done differently if we had the benefit of hindsight. But if you didn't have that, then we might still be looking at that same baseline with low sideways rates forever and ever. Jeb and I were just talking the other day that you hear all of these people. We saw this in 2015 where everyone said, hey, we're never going to see those 3.625, 3.75 rates again. That was weird QAE government related stuff. 
Yeah. And the government was responsible for the 2.75 rates that we ended up seeing. But in between there, in 2019, we were back low fours pushing into the low threes without QE. So I think it's crazy for anyone to say, hey, we'll never see that, that the 2.75, the 3% is out of the question going forward. One of my favorite bond market analyst is Lacey Hunt, super academic, super high level stuff. But his belief is, has always been and supported by the academic research that they have is that all of the deficit spending is disinflationary at best, deflationary at worst, which tells us that that long-term trend should still be intact. The government was both responsible for taking rates as low as they took them, but also responsible for them going as high as they did because that response lasted so much longer than it needed to. So it will be interesting to me one, two years down the line because everyone mocks that idea of transitory inflation when it's actually looking like it was transitory, just that wasn't two to three months, it was two to three years of elevated inflation. Do you have any feelings on that over the, the three to five year time frame versus the one year coming out of the COVID response? Like, do I think that rates can get back into the twos and threes? Just long-term, like it, it, that long-term downtrend, do you think that yeah. is broken? Like I- Well, Mark so the long, the, yeah, the long-term downtrend has to break because it it's not going to go meaningfully below 0% if you're asking treasury yields. And I couldn't relay the, uh, the science and the math behind it, but several Fed speakers have fielded this question in the past and uh, referenced some unique challenges posed by being the world's reserve currency and having negative rates. So whereas the European Union was able to put policy rates into negative territory, apparently it's harder to do in the U.S. and with the U.S. dollar. And again, I couldn't tell you why that is, but I, I guess I'll take the Fed's word for it. So even then, I, either way, there's some lower bound. Even if you were to ask Europe, that lower bound is in negative territory. But at some point, you're going to asymptotically approach this lower floor, and it's not just going to keep going down to negative 57% one would expect. Matt, you do a really good job of looking at the big picture, right? In our world, things change daily, hourly. And the buyer that's in the market typically is there for a short period of time. So they're typically interested in rates and that sort of thing, primarily when they're initially going through the process. And sometimes later on when they're trying to refinance or take advantage of something, whether it's cash out or something else with their property. So thinking like that, we've seen rates kind of pull back from the highs. Do you, and again, not being a predictor, but in the short term, three to six months, somewhere in that ballpark, do you think we've seen a peak in rates? Is the trend at the moment lower? Is it kind of in this range between five and a half, seven percent? That's kind of been the number floating around the internet, depending on who you follow and what you pay attention to with regards to rates. So if I'm a consumer and I'm asking Jeb, Josh, Matt, is this the peak? What are your thoughts? Yeah, many thoughts. And you guys may not have heard, I, I definitely am a little bit more fast and loose with the prediction stuff when I'm on podcasts. So I'll give All you right. more than you probably thought you were going to get. Good. In fact, the, la <laughs> good the last one was right before the last uh, NFP report, and they, they really pressed me for a prediction. And I, I said at that time, what was that, like a month ago almost, you know, that, that the top is in. And I think that it's always going to be one of those situations where if we had to make a base case, knowing what we know today, and not being able to see what the data is going to come in like in the future, there's ifs and thens. So if things continue in the same vein, they have been no big surprises in either direction, we've definitely seen the top in rates. 
Now, if inflation data were to resurge and move back up and uh, push annual numbers up toward that four, maybe 5% uh, core year over year level, now you have not seen the top in rates. Rates could easily go back above 8%. But yeah, if that doesn't happen, great. And this would be the third time that we've had a, a start toward lower rates after they've spiked up to super long-term highs. The first two were false starts, meaning it looked pretty convincing. In fact, both of those occasions lasted longer and went a little bit deeper than the current one. So we need to keep that in mind and, and keep in mind this is very new still in the bigger picture. But it's also uh, one that starts from the highest rates. That's generally a good thing, statistically speaking, for the success of these uh, rate recoveries. The higher rates have gone, the more likely they are to have stopped going higher. And uh, it's also accompanied by what I would qualitatively say has been a shift in tone, both from the economy and the Fed. So the economic data is more moderate. It's definitely not showing signs of panic. But jobs numbers are lower than they were significantly than the last two false starts. I'm not saying this is a false start than the last two starts. Let's call them that. And inflation has been much better behaved. And the numbers underlying the inflation data, so things like the, the housing component, which is a big, big ingredient there, came down meaningfully in the last report. And if that were to be the case again in the next report, then the market's really going to take off probably. And I, I think we're seeing right now traders sort of looking like they're getting a little bit excited or anticipatory at the very least about a broader, more sustained move toward lower rates, but cautious because the data has to confirm it. Something I enjoy about MBS Live is you do use technicals, but you always go back to the fundamentals. And I know depending on what chart you're looking at, technical analysis can be viewed in a lot of different ways. I actually like technical analysis personally, took a lot of classes in it, studied it. I think things typically happen at certain points that kind of make the technical analysis follow through in, in really weird ways. But with that said, one of the recent things you showed was a one month view of us breaking lower with rates or the trend being lower, but then kind of zooming out and looking at, I think it was a two-year or three-year chart and seeing that we, we we haven't broken anything yet. We're still in this bigger trend mm -hmm. long-term. So what are your thoughts when it comes to, I kind of said three to six months, we said, hey, if things continue, rates come down. Is that the same view longer term as well? Yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, with the caveat being this particular episode in history has had a lot of lessons and a lot of eye-openers for a lot of people. So we don't really know what we don't know the ability for the economy and government spending and all the rest of it to generate unpredictable inflation has been nothing short of, yeah, crazy. Yeah. And some people say that it is going to be embedded in a way that is going to make it tough to defeat. Other people are actually very much on the other side of the coin saying that if the Fed actually doesn't cut rates a little bit soon, then we're at risk for a hard landing for the economy. So yeah, I mean, I think short-term and long-term are, are pretty similar in my mind. Uh, if we turn the big corner, then we're going to be moving back down in rate because it will signify, let's put it this way, once the, the bad stuff that's happening that's been pushing rates higher is defeated in the short-term, it's also just defeated. And that means it's defeated in the long-term and things would moderate a little bit more. 
Let's talk about one of the things that you have talked about here recently in some of your writings, whether it be the, the Daily Report or some of the stuff you put out on the internet, which is inflation. You can kind of reverse engineer that so you can see where it's going. We can know what the components are, how they're trending, what they look like. The jobs, you were one of the first people talking about, hey, the Fed is not going to take their foot off the brake until they, they see something better in jobs. But that last piece government spending and therefore government borrowing. So the market has to absorb this supply. So we went from 2020 and 2021, there's lots of supply out there, but the government's buying all of it. So no worries, we have that supply taken out of the market. Now over the last year- The, we've the seen Fed's record... buying it, the, the, the government's bank is buying it. The government itself's not buying it. So either way, it's not coming to market where we have to worry about finding buyers. Now we have to find buyers, so we have more supply than we've seen and less de less demand because the government itself is not buying it. What do you think that tells us going forward? When I look at almost everything, I feel like you can look at a trend and have an idea of where it's going. The government borrowing and spending, you look at the numbers, it's almost impossible for that snowball to stop rolling downhill. And what does that mean for us and interest rates? It's a fascinating topic and one that generates a lot of discussion and buzz. But I think that it's currently a bit overdone. And again, it's not to say it's not significant. It is definitely a significant portion of the rate drama, but it is not the deciding factor. And it, it's not the thing that made it as big as it is. So, you know, it already looks like treasury auction sizes will have leveled off by the time the next uh, quarterly refunding comes around. And that's something that played into the recent peak in rates. But I think the peak in rates happens regardless, as long as the economic data is showing the kind of shift that it's showing. And Treasury rejiggered its maturities to focus on shorter term debt so that it would be able to refi at lower rates when rates fall, and at least more than it otherwise would have. And that's what will happen. And debt service is baked in. All we can hope for is no matter which party is in office, that the government appreciates the fact that the financial market was starting for the first time in a long time to actually uh, have this conversation about issuance and about uh, fiscal sustainability when it comes to debt service, because it's not a conversation that really was necessary when rates were as low as they were prior to COVID or prior to the, the post COVID rate balance, let's call it, because they were low for quite a while after COVID itself. So yeah, I, that's gonna be important. And I, I don't really know how you solve the, the issue of the government spending other people's money less efficiently than the people would spend it themselves. I think that, you know, whether you're talking about lower revenues from a fiscally conservative side, or whether you're talking about higher taxes or more government spending from a, a fiscally liberal side, the symptom is the same. It's lower revenue for the government and increased issuance. And we've seen it on both sides of the aisle. And I just always like to throw that in there because I'm exceedingly politically neutral and I don't really ever want to be perceived as anything other than that. No, we, I, we, I think that's... Yeah, we, we point the fingers, Jeb, you and I every week at both parties equally because for the last 20 They're years, both, both, par both parties have spent very <laughs> liberally. So you, whether you think you're a conservative or you're a liberal, both, both sides have spent liberally for the last 20 years and helped us get here. So yeah, Matt, and one thing to keep in mind, sorry, real quick, just yeah. point out the most dangerous thing for spending is when one party has exclusive control of both chambers of Congress and the Oval Office. It's not so much about which president is in office. It's about when it's all red or all blue on uh, both sides. And one of the things that comes up, Matt, I was going to parlay it off this because we're not a political podcast by any means. But do politics play anything into rates in 2024, being it election year? Is there historically yeah. been anything that's come up in these years that's made an impact? 
I think there are some volatility considerations and and maybe some risk on risk off type trading that occur during election years, but it's not on the scale that uh, most people talk about. And it is a really common question and a frustrating observation that people make on MBS Live to say, oh, it's an election year, so XYZ is going to happen. We don't really know. Politics aren't going to determine rates unless you get one of these red sweeps or blue sweeps where you know that you're going to have a major change to a policy that affects the the revenue and spending balance. That's what happened in 2016. That's why rates started moving higher in 2017, 2018, because we had uh, full GOP control of everything and instantly an understanding that we were going to get the tax bill and have much lower revenue. It wasn't about Trump being in office. It was about GOP having full control and the tax cuts. A lot of people like the tax cuts, but it did make rates go higher. Recession? Is it something we're looking at? Does that impact rates? If we have a recession based on what we can currently see going on in the economy, it would be what they would call a small technical recession, where it's not really like, doesn't feel like a recession to most people. It would be more due to the fact that we had uh, such strong growth leading up to it that it's just a, a moderation. Typically, recessions that are memorable are caused by something that wasn't easily foreseen that far in the future. The mortgage meltdown maybe is arguably an exception for those of us in the mortgage industry, because I think some of us could see that bad things were happening, although few of us realized the magnitude of them. So, you know, dot-com bubble, savings and loan crisis, mortgage meltdown, big events that uh, sort of take the market or at least the, the broader economy by surprise. We don't see those right now. Some people have talked about commercial real estate, but while there's pain there, there's not panic. And I do see a scenario where we have this magical soft landing, not as a prediction, but I see it as certainly a possibility. And unless we get that big surprise, then the recession is looking more like it would be small, technical, and forgettable. If that's the case, and it were a small recession, do you think there's any government reaction to it? Or do you think they're fairly happy to see slow or negative growth and just stay out there, of the way unless there's something bigger than expected? There better not be a government reaction to something small. I mean, we really need to save the the big bazookas for the big problems. And certainly COVID fit the bill without question. And again, if we could go back and do things differently, I think that both the Fed and the government would. But I would certainly hope that if we have a garden variety recession, that we're not busting out some crazy fiscal initiatives and especially not QE, uh, quantitative easing, which is the Fed buying bonds. Again, I would wager that policymakers agree with that that they are also thinking, yeah, that's just for the really big emergencies. And the mortgage meltdown is a really big emergency. And so was COVID. So we don't really know because they haven't been put to the test on uh, a smaller emergency or some even a non-emergent recession. Uh, I'm going to keep the faith and hope that they logically will not do anything <laughs> crazy. And we do need to let the economy go through cycles. Otherwise, there's other uh, fallout. With that, like we've talked about a little bit about inflation, supply of treasuries, jobs. Is there one thing in particular that you believe has a bigger impact on long-term rates? Or is it just the combination of everything all together, the Fed looking at what's happening with, with all the pieces of the puzzle, if you will? So there are three really important things that are going to drive rates into uh, 2024. And that is November's inflation data, December's inflation data, and January's inflation data. So don't get me wrong. The jobs report matters and the, the issuance side matters. But 
ultimately, if those inflation numbers are showing that we're on our way to the 2% target, or in four or five months, if they show that we're there, which that would be a tall order, but in six, seven months, it could happen. It won't really matter what's going on with jobs. That's just going to sort of temper the pace of the drop in rates. Because if inflation's at or headed convincingly to 2% at the core level, rates will be significantly lower. 10-year yield will be, you know, in the somewhere in the 2 to 4% range or 2 to 3% range. And uh, super balmy jobs numbers would just mean that it's slightly slower getting there. When we look forward at the next three months of inflation data, other than an unforeseen right now spike in, in energy prices, do you see anything that could derail that continued month over month lowering? We saw the spike <clears throat> towards the end of the summer in energy prices, and we saw it begin to trickle through and it corrected fairly quickly. And we're back on this path to lower inflation. But other than energy, do you see anything that could derail that move lower? That's why the Fed and, and traders look at the job stuff, because if there's excess economic strength, which currently it doesn't look like there is, then that's the sort of thing that could derail inflation progress. And if there's some magical recovery in rent prices and mortgage payments, then that could be an issue too, because that shelter component is so big and, and the calculation that they do for shelter or the housing component of inflation is complicated enough that it won't necessarily line up perfectly with what's happening in the short term. So that could be a factor. There's also some thing that I don't understand enough to explain it to you, but it has to do with the calculation of healthcare payments that is adding stuff back to inflation. But I think markets and traders understand how that works and, and can account for it. So to whatever extent we can predict the future for the CPI numbers for inflation numbers. Yeah. Oh, vehicles, maybe there's been some deflation in, in vehicle prices. So if short-term rates fall precipitously and auto manufacturers decide to offer incentives, a big pop in vehicle prices could make things look a little bit hesitant to drop in, for inflation, but not materially, probably. A couple questions, Matt, when it comes to predictions, you, you mentioned you've done some in the past. The spread uh, between the 10-year and 30-year uh, fixed, right? We saw as high as, what, three, just over 3%, yeah, somewhere in that yeah, ballpark. Historically, we've been 1.7-ish, somewhere in that range. Do we get back to that historical range in the future, or is this a new norm where the spread comes down but never gets back down to that range that we've had in the past? When we talk about the historical range, you know, what time frame are we talking about? Because there have been some different considerations depending on the time frame. Anything between 2009 and present has been distorted heavily by QE and the Fed's involvement in bond buying. Everything after, before and after, I think it's 1996, uh, when CRA came out, big change in spreads at that point. So if people are looking farther into the past than 1996, then that's not really relevant. And yeah, I, I think that's way too much focus has been paid to this notion of spread. I have no problem with where spreads are right now. It makes really good sense to me. It doesn't keep me up at night. It's not the kind of thing I think is going to be ongoing. It's a very logical byproduct of the rapidity of the rise in rates and the Fed 
quickly backing out of buying mortgage bonds, combined with the fact that the Fed constituted a much bigger portion of the bond buying universe for mortgages versus treasuries. So it's the kind of thing that comes down naturally when rates come down and stabilize. And uh, as far as what normal is, I don't know. It's probably 2% or less, but not less than probably 1.5%, if I had to guess, based on not really having much of a stable baseline of historical evidence. But that's an important number. If you're correct that two is the the lower end of that, two and a half is a half percent better. We're talking half percent to one percent better in in rates. You know what I'm saying? Let's say the number is still 3%, but now 10-year yields are at um, 0.5%. Do you care now? Exactly. So it's a spread, and therefore it's like... It really depends on what the the basis is doing. And I think that not only would you care less if 10-year yields were much lower, but if 10-year yields were much lower, there's going to be a reach for yield among investors that's going to bring the spread for mortgage rates down anyway. So you'd have a double positive there as soon as rates come lower. Big picture there. It's not abnormal or unexpected that that spread would widen as rates shot up rapidly and to a degree we've never seen and wouldn't be unexpected to see it narrow if and when yields decrease. Is that a a fair summary? Yeah. And the, the last part of the summary is it's the wrong thing to focus on. Nothing that we do observe, say, is going to change anything about it. Rates are just going to come down as much as they're going to come down. And the spread is just really a byproduct of the trading environment and of the rate outlook. So it'll come down. Rates will come down and the spread will come down likely at the same time or in sort of a fits and starts kind of way. And with that, the, the magic question, Matt, is rates coming down. What does that mean? I mean, if rates come down an eighth, they've, they've come down, but that's not meaningful for most people out there looking to buy mm-hmm. a house, looking to refinance, looking to make a large purchase. Doesn't really help with affordability. We're talking right. rates in the fives. That sort of thing, I think, is a more meaningful move for most people out there. It probably unlocks some of these people that, quote or unquote, locked into property to some extent, depending on how you want to look at that. It allows affordability to improve some. Is that something that we see? in 2024 or is it further out you could see it in 2023 depending on how next week's data goes it wouldn't be the craziest thing in the world to see rates in the high fives but you know two weeks from now it would heavily depend on next week's economic data being pretty downbeat but that type of move that size of move it's nothing it's easy that can happen in a couple days under the right circumstances i mean look at the last three or four weeks well no maybe it's five weeks we're we're down almost a full percent as of a couple hours ago, I was kind of surprised when I looked at rates this morning and saw we're pretty much at 7% now. And we were over 8% at the most recent peak just over a month ago. So that's 1% in about a month. What's another 1% between friends at 5.99? We hit that last spring. People forget. I mean, you hit that 5.99 for, it was only about a week, but the yeah. market saw the moderating inflation, thought that the trend had turned, and, and we got there. And now it yeah. turned back on us really quickly. But to your point, that things can change rather quickly. Look, the futures market's pricing in Fed rate cuts in early 2024. So there's a lot of anticipation for the, the big shift. And the market uh, is trying to be careful about not getting too far ahead of itself and getting burned again. And also, you know, the faster that you push these moves from a trading standpoint, the less sustainable they become or the more volatile they become. So people are trying to be a little bit careful on the way back down. But there does seem to be a a new measure of belief 
and I, I'm basing this not on the charts and not on technicals, but on the way that markets are moving intraday relative to their motivations to do that. So I'm not seeing enough motivation to justify the level of bond buying or rate dropping that we've seen. And that's exciting. It's exciting to everyone in the business and excited, exciting to our right. listeners who are first-time buyers and wanting to get in. And many of them were flat out priced out. People have said to me for the last year, oh, you must be bored. Things must be slow. And I say, no, the phone rings every bit as much as it has because there's still people interested. There's less people able as these rates have gone higher. So hopefully there's a book of people who wanted to get back in. Over time, 65% of Americans, plus or minus American households, choose to be homeowners. So the interest never really goes away way, the ability does. And prices and interest rates have really taken that ability away over the last few years. So hopefully we get some of the moderation that, that you're pointing towards, that the data is pointing towards and markets are hoping and expecting. And we could see a few more people. Do you have any thoughts on sales volume for the next year? You know, other than cash out refis, there's not a lot of refinance business out there. So almost all business is purchase business. So home sales were a 20, 25 year low in terms of sales volume. Do you think rates at 599, 5.5 will, will make an appreciable difference in home sales in the next year? That's a great question. And I think that the only question to ask <clears throat> in addition to that is, or not the only question, the, the place to focus is in the existing home market and on the inventory side of the equation. And the question is, what rate does it take for people that are in their current loans of two and a half to three and a half percent? What does it take for them to say, you know, I do really want that other bedroom. All right, I want that mountain view. Will they trade out that two and a half percent rate for a five and a half percent rate to get what they want? I don't know. I, Would you? I, I, I just did I might. I just traded Jeff, a three percent for Jeff just seven. did it last week. Yeah. Right. And he probably had a pretty strong motivation for whatever reason. Yeah. It's not the kind of jump that people are going to make on a lark to say, ah, well, yeah, I could use a change of scenery. It's going to be like, I got a new job. I want to go to this different school or I'm making more money my family's expanding, something that is creating legitimate need. Those buyers have actually already been in the marketplace with the most legitimate need. So now we're kind of getting to that second tier of <clears throat> like to buy, but that's just not the best economic decision. Now it, at five and a half, maybe it's one that can be justified. So a little bit of a balancing act between what effect that has on home prices versus inventory. So as inventory goes up, that would push prices down. But as rates go down, that would push prices up. So it'll be interesting to see who blinks first on that. Now, we've been talking about this imbalance for the better part of a year, year and a half now, just with the lack of supply. And unfortunately, being in real estate, I don't see a meaningful change coming soon. I think we're kind of in this weird period for some period of time, but we'll definitely see. But I did want to throw it back to Matt. Any final thoughts, anything you want to throw out there for people that are paying attention to rates, watching the market? What's the focus at the moment? My concluding thought was just that of the three chances we've had, this is the best looking one for a sustainable shift for the ceiling to be in. And I know I spoke to that earlier in the podcast, but it's not like lip service. It is something that's looking and feeling different this time around. So it's a good time to be hopeful. That said, you shouldn't see somebody on a podcast or on TV and, and hear an upbeat message or even glean an upbeat message from them and conclude, oh, I'm going to wait because rates are going to come down and I don't want to be stuck with this high rate. If rates have legitimately turned the corner, 
there's not really a good case to be made for waiting because if they start falling now and you regret getting a five and a half percent rate when rates go down to three and a half percent, it's going to make all the sense in the world just to refi at three and a half percent and to have paid less money for the house up front. And you'll be better off in the long run if you don't wait. And that's always generally true if you're considering buying a home as your primary residence. And I think that's really good thoughts to end on. Matt, appreciate you being here. Josh, thanks for, for setting up the interview. Guys, we always go back to the slogan here, which is buy right, borrow smart, build wealth. Until next time, adios. Amigos. Thanks for listening to The Educated Home Buyer. Want to connect with us or to a local expert in your area? please reach out at theeducatedhomebuyer.com slash expert. If you found any value today, please be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. In addition, we ask that you share it with your friends and subscribe to us on YouTube and make sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening.